My Mac Podcast 270. First show without Tim. You're listening to the My Mac Podcast with your hosts, David Cohen and Guy Searle. Welcome to My Mac Show number 270. My name is David Cohen, and this week I'm joined by Guy Sill. Hello, Guy. Hey, Dave. What's going on? It's, uh, what's going on? It's pretty cold. Yeah. It's pretty wet. Apart from that. Well, it's, it, it's England, so you, you know it's going to be raining. Yeah, it's pretty much and like that every week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty much uh, most of the time. Well, this is, this is our first show without Tim, without Tim actually being recorded with us. Absolutely. He's taken off the training wheels and pushed us out into the real world. Yeah, hopefully not under a bus. That would be nice. <laughs> so, no, that's and, what that's what we did with Tim. That's why he's not here anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to give us a hand this week to kind of get us over the hump, we got Rick Stringer. Hey, Rick. Hey, guys. How you doing, now, Rick? For those of you who don't know who Rick is, he is the, the host of the Variant Frequencies podcast, which can be found at var- variantfrequencies.com. So that's, that's right. That's kind of like um, a storytelling podcast, isn't it, Rick? Absolutely. That's ex- that's is precisely what we are. So uh, and the uh, the real big thing that you've had going on over the last few years, I guess, has been the failed city monologues. That's been a a big thing for us. In fact, we have a new series of failed cities stories going for December. Oh, way cool! Is it going to be a Christmas theme? It is. We're, uh, <laughs> for, fact, for as uh, much as there can be a Christmas theme in uh, the failed cities. Believe it or not, this one actually is a Christmas theme. <laughs> so do you, do you need to go back and listen to all of those, Rick, if you want to kind of get caught up, or can you just dip in and out? How does it work? Well, most of our stories are standalone things, but for the failed cities, you would want to start from the beginning. Um, although this series that we're doing for December, it's called The Failed Cities, Hath of Darkness, is separate from the original series. You could listen to it, but it would be advantageous to have listened to the original series first. Yeah, so it's set, it's it's set in the same universe, but but telling a slightly different story. Now, is it yep. going to be like more of the same type of characters? Presumably, some of the ones that weren't killed off in the original story. It is many of the original characters. Where we've already um, put out three of the stories. Uh, the fourth one comes out tomorrow. And there's going to be a total of eight. We're doing two a week from December 1st through Christmas Day. Wow, that is so cool. And I love that podcast. You know, there's there's another one I think uh, Tim was talking about it not long ago, uh, the Tobolowsky Files. Have you have you heard of that one? Oh, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's, it's a character actor, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky. And hmm. and it, it's just a great podcast. I don't want to get too much into it right now. Uh, why don't we uh, Why don't we continue on? Yeah. So this this week we thought we'd have a a, a talk about Psystar because there was a, some legal developments in the last few days, and um, looks like it's all over for Psystar finally. Yeah. Well, it was about time. You know. I mean, they <laughs> they really just they they strung this out way too long. I I really can't believe that they ever thought that that they were going to score a win over Apple's legal over something like this. 
Well, they were the little guy against the big giant. Um, the difference of the story being that <laughs> most people who, who kind of like read into the story thought that the uh, the little guy was completely and utterly in the wrong. But just to recap for anybody who's been living under a rock and doesn't know what we're talking about, Psystar was a small um, Florida outfit that started selling um, Apple Mac clones, but unofficial clones. They were basically taking... Uh, stock PCs and then modifying Apple's um, OS X software so that it would run on them um, and obviously Apple took a, a somewhat a dim view of, of <laughs> that and uh, you know much legal wrangling ensued but what's what's been interesting about Psystar's approach is rather than just either, either cave or, or you know put up a spirited defense what they what they appear to have done is use every single legal trick in the book including to stretch it out yeah filing multiple lawsuits in multiple um multiple uh, states they've felt they've filed a different lawsuit for snow leopard as opposed to leopard um saying that they're completely different and should be treated differently and um it's been interesting to see uh how their legal team has, has dealt with this and how they've got on with their legal team. I think that's kind of ended acrimoniously and everyone's been wondering, you know, how long it was going to go and when their money would run out. And it appears they've finally got to the end of the end of the road. So what was the details of the settlement in the end uh, guy? Uh, basically, I think uh star ha- is, you know, they're not going to sell machines with OS X o- OS 10 anymore. And they were, or Apple was awarded, I think, $21 million settlement. And, you know, the, the, the really weird part is it turned out that, that they only sold 768 machines yeah. with OS X on it. So it's not really... Now, one of the things that really got them in trouble, now, you know, p- f- again, for those that, that haven't been following this, uh, the way they thought they were going to be able to get around this was they were buying retail copies of OS X and then including that with the purchase. But what they weren't saying, and, and it came out in court later, was that they weren't taking those retail copies and installing them one at a time. They had like a, a, a machine, and they would clone, you know, that particular drive on that machine that already had all, you know, had OS X on it, onto every single one that they had. So yeah, I guess that makes the whole process even more egregious to Apple because. Um, you know, they weren't, I mean, it makes sense to do it that way because there's no way to, to tell each copy of OS 10 apart because they're not individually licensed, but ov- yeah, right. ov- obviously that, that kind of undermines their defense at saying they were buying multiple copies of OS 10 cause they weren't using them. They were just using one original source copy. Like they were a pirate factory. Yeah. And, and as I, as I recall in some of the stories that I saw that, I mean, when people got these machines, they actually received a, a shrink wrapped copy of OS 10, which meant that, you know, obviously it was never opened. So, yeah. you know, that being said, how did it get on there? Exactly. What do you think, Tim? Sorry, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian That's slip. Okay. Yeah. What, what, were you ever tempted to buy one of these machines, Rick? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, but, but I was never tempted where back when clones actually were allowed by Apple. Right. I'm, I'm a Mac guy. What can I say? I've been using the Mac since 1985, and well, I, I, use I actually it. owned. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I've I've used Macs all my you know the, all my computer life, and I like the hardware. I I like that the system and the hardware is built by the same company. I know it's gonna work. I know I could, yeah, you know, I could get it cheaper from some of these other places, but sure, it's not worth it to me. Well, the the thing is, is it's 
I, this is a this is a fundamental point to me between the difference between PCs and Macs, and I've used both for a long time, so kind of I I, I know where I'm coming from on this. One of the reasons that PCs are, are cheaper than Macs is that they are they're built down to a price, but also you don't get the same level of support you get from Apple. You know, you can't walk into a computer store and get somebody who knows the system inside out to give you expert advice like you can with an Apple store. I mean, you can go to like the you know PC World or um, Best Buy or something like that, but I, th- I think we've all seen the horror stories about some of the guys in there and, w- and the advice they give and the fact they rip customers off. Whereas Apple just doesn't really do that, and that level of support and and backup when you buy a machine is part of what goes into the price. Uh, don't get me wrong; I'm sure they make a healthy profit margin on each machine, but but that's kind of oh, yeah. what you're it's paying for. Like it's, it's, well, I mean, they, they have the highest margins in the industry. Yeah, but but nevertheless, that part of those margins goes to fund the support mechanism and the and the 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 backup you'll get you're buying when you buy an Apple computer, and you just don't get that with the PC, and that's why you know this sort of operation where they they're taking the PC model and then taking Apple software and kind of jamming it in there. Uh, I I can understand why Apple don't like it at all because not only is it not only is it stealing stealing their code and stealing their intellectual property, but it's devaluing their brand and the the kind of the model they built up for their computers, and um, obviously yeah, they want and, to defend that. Well, and don't forget as well that you know the the, the mechanism that SciStar is using to put OSX on these machines is it's open source code that was made by somebody else. You know they. They they basically took the efforts of the OSX eighty six Hackintosh group, you know, slammed it into a machine, called it good, and shipped them out. So you know, not only are they are they you know ripping off Apple, but they're also ripping off the the people that actually developed the code that they use to put OS ten on their own computers. Yeah. Now it's it's interesting that because part of this settlement protected SciStar from sharing that information with Apple. Um, the settlement specifically stated that they reserved the right to um, continue to sell what they call Rebel EFI, which is this software bootloader that allows you to load OS X onto a, an ordinary PC. Um, obviously, I, I would imagine that their approach is, well, you know, we've lost the ability to sell these computers, not that they sold that many of them, but we want to retain right. retain the ability to sell that piece of software because we see that as an alternate revenue stream. And I, I presume they're counting on the fact that because it comes from open source, um, there's nobody with big legal pockets who can defend against that and take them to court over it. Well, I think, uh, I don't think Apple actually really cares about Rebel EFI. I think that you know, their whole thing was you're selling a computer with OS X on it, and you know that's that's our code, and, and you're not you're not entitled, you're not licensed to sell a computer with with OS X on it. As far as Re- Rebel EFI goes, you know it's it's still it's it's still you know it's it's hacked software. It's it's software that you have to put onto a machine. You know, because I mean, let's face it, most PCs these days are still running off of BIOS. They're not using yeah. EFI. So Rebel EFI is a way to make these these BIOS-based computers run off of EFI, in which turn then you can turn around and, and install OS X. But I don't think Apple really cares that much because I don't think that, that there's a huge market for people to buy computers and then have to go out and figure out how to install OS X. No. So, I, you know, yeah, I mean, having when you consider that they sold, they only sold seven hundred and sixty-eight computers in what two, three years. 
Yeah. So, the, you know, the, why, the, why does the legal, how many are, how many are they going to sell with Rebel EFI? I don't think Apple cares. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I would imagine the legal the, the legal machinations put a lot of people off, to be honest. But I, I I agree with you. I don't think it was ever a huge market, and certainly some of the numbers that that appeared in the court case of of eleven million machines that they were anticipating selling were, were just yeah. high in the sky. Really, I mean, even Apple doesn't yeah. sell that many. Um, but uh, I know having look having done this myself just as a, as an ex, as an intellectual exercise, I've actually you know uh, loaded OS ten onto a, an MSI Wind. Sure. Um, yeah, I, you 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 had that at uh, MacWorld two I, years I, ago. I did, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, that was a neat little machine. Yeah, it it was, and it was it was fun, and it was interesting. But you know, under no circumstance, I don't have it anymore. I, I put Windows back on it and sold the machine in the end. But uh, under no circumstances would I, having gone through that, I put a fair amount of time into figuring out how to, all that worked, and I, I wouldn't ever kind of offer it to anybody else and say, well, this is. You know, just this this good. is what you need. Yeah, this is just as good as going out and buying a, buying a real Apple machine because every time an update came from Apple, um, it didn't work properly, and there were there were there were things that didn't work properly right right out the box. Never did the sound the sound uh, onboard sound never worked properly. You had to use a, a USB sound card. So, you know, it, it's it's fine it's fine as a hacking exercise as a hacking project, but but no way is this kind of a a, a retail solution, a replacement. Uh, and um, to me, it kind of undermines the whole ethos of OS X. Anyway, having to do all this kind of weird Linuxy type stuff just from trying to get your video graphics drivers working. Well, one of the things that that I've I've said to people that when they start talking about how expensive Macintosh computers are, you know, I mean, it's, it's really when when you try to justify what Apple charges for their computers, there's, there's really a, a twofold argument, at least in in my mind. Uh, number one. You know, if you spec out a, a Dell or an HP or, you know, I'm, and I'm not talking about home build. I'm just talking about, you know, other commercial computer makers. If you spec them out as close as you possibly can to an Apple Macintosh, it's going to be nearly the same price. You know, it, yeah. it's going to be off by maybe anywhere from 5 to 15% as far as the retail price goes, not counting, you know, weird discounts and stuff like that. The other thing you have to remember is that Dell and HP and, all, and Acer and, and all these other companies are not supporting an OS. Apple is supporting an OS. That takes money. That takes time. That takes research and development. And none of them are doing that. Apple is. Yeah. I, I always say to people who, who who say, "Well, I'd like a Mac, but I can't afford it, or they're too expensive." I say, "You know, go hit eBay or find a decent machine. Uh, you can pretty much buy a machine at any price point that will run OS ten. Sure, uh, right? Even if you can only afford, you know, twenty, fifty, a hundred dollars, you can find a machine that will just about run OS ten. It won't run it spectacularly well, and you're not going to be editing movies in Final Cut Pro on it. But no. um, but if you want to get into uh, the Apple experience at a low cost." Um, second-hand machines that are in, in good condition are very, very functional, and you don't have to spend a lot of money. And to me, that's a far better way of doing it than trying to trying to hack around a PC um, and trying to shoehorn the latest version of OS X on it and dealing with all the um, support issues that arise from that. So yeah, from, I would go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, I was just going to say that that for me, I maintain forty Macs in my office. Yeah, forty Macs. I, yeah. And I I wouldn't want to try to do that with PCs. I think that the people that say Macs are too expensive aren't taking into account their own time. Yeah. My my time has value. And I can't be spending a tremendous amount of time 
trying to keep those machines running. And those Macs just keep running. Yeah. I, I, I don't have to spend a lot of time on the individual machines for the most part. Sure, we have problems just like anybody else, but I sure wouldn't want to try to maintain that many machines running Windows, I'll tell you that much. Okay, well, I think we've, we've about beaten Psystar to death. Let's hope that's actually what happens. And, um... uh, let me ask you something real quick, Rick. Uh, how, yes. long have you, how long have you been on the Mac? Since 1985. Okay, so I you... Start- you got about two years on me then. Yeah, I started out with a little 128K Mac. Yeah, mine was a plus. Yep. I still have a Mac Plus down in my basement. It, I haven't had it running in a long time, but it, it would run if I tried it. <laughs> As a whole one and a half K, uh, megs of RAM. Wow, that's a big machine. So you want let's, <laughs> let, let's move on. Uh, you. Uh, what else we got going on today? Well, I thought we'd, we'd do maybe do some um, some some gift picks. You know, it's the season for buying gifts. Uh, yeah, do, and do you so, want do you want to cut for a commercial first? No, we'll we'll no. We'll, okay, we'll, let's we'll, keep going. We'll we'll, we'll we'll get into a um, we'll get into the seasonal picks and then we'll 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 break it a little later on. Okay. So um, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting. You know, it's the holiday season. People are out buying gifts for themselves or buying gifts for their friend, friends and family. And so I thought it'd be worthwhile as maybe making some recommendations, things we've used over the last twelve months that might be good to go on somebody's, uh, you know, Apple or Mac uh, uh, Christmas or holiday season list. Stuffing stockers. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I, I've got some things that are probably a bit expensive to stuff in a stocking, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I still think they're good products, and they're worthwhile if, if uh, you wanted to, to look on something bigger. Why didn't you uh, go first, Guy? What have you got for us? Okay, uh, what I've got is for iPod and iPhone users on the go. Um, most people that, that have an iPod are typically also going to listen to it in their car, and, you know, unless they have it sitting on the seat next to them, they need something for it to sit on. So I found this, and this is what I use in my car for my iPod, not for my iPhone, but for my iPod. It's the Gomatic Apple iPod Car Cup Holder. It, it basically has, you know, it's got this big heavy base that fits into your car cup. You turn this little knob, and these things come out, and it, 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 it'll fit almost any car cup holder that's out there. It works really, really well. It's about 30 bucks. Okay, so how how does it um, does it what does it have a neck that comes up and and then a mount for the iPod? Yeah, yeah, it's got a neck that comes up. It's got the mount for the iPod. There's a there's a little click wheel, not a click wheel, a little clicker that you can adjust the size. You, you, it doesn't have to necessarily be just for iPods. You can use it for almost any any type of device that that you know you want to use in your car. Uh, the neck itself bends back. You can bend it in almost any direction that you want it to. It's very, very convenient. Okay. And, um, I mean, obviously, there's there's a variety of different mount options. I know Tim was talking to me the other week about uh, a um, solution he uses that, that mounts in the vent of a car. So what is it about a cup holder mount that you think works best for you? Uh, well, one thing that works well for me is, it, number one, I, you know, I, I've tried the, the vent mount ones before. And they're okay, but I always feel like I'm I'm doing some damage to the vents themselves. Right. So you know, and plus the fact that you're also you're blocking some vents. So in the winter time, you're blowing hot air directly across the back of your of your iPod or your iPhone, and that can't be doing it any good. And the you know where most cars have their cup holders, it's either like in the center console or you know on a slightly lower, someplace where it's going to be reachable but out of the way. Yeah. And usually those 
areas of the car is a perfect location to have something like an iPhone. It's within arm's reach. You can, you know, use the click wheel without even taking your eyes off the road, which is, you know, let's let's stress how important that is. Yeah. And so I, I found that that this works really well. I've had it now for over a year and it's it's very sturdy and it's held up really, really well. Excellent. Well, you can't beat a recommendation of uh, something that's actually been used in anger that long. Yeah. And it's 30 bucks, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll put a link in the show notes to where uh, where you can get that product. If uh, if you're interested in that, then we'll uh, we'll have that there for you. Um, Rick, I sent I sent you a note ahead of time. We were going to do this. Have you uh, had an idea of something you might want to recommend? Well, it's kind of funny. I actually have a similar product, but different. Okay. Um, ah, well, that's good because I just did the the other one. Yeah, it's uh, the Rocketfish bicycle and car mount for MP3 players. Oh, you know what? I actually, I actually was looking for something like this to to mount on on a bicycle for my iPhone. So I'm yeah. really interested in hearing this. Yeah, this is a really nice uh, device. Uh, you can get it at Best Buy, and it's uh, about twenty five dollars. And what I like about it is, for the car, it mounts to the window, and then it's got an expandable bracket that'll hold. Either your iPhone or, or it could handle any kind of phone, really, or uh, a GPS device, whatever. But it it will unmount from that arm, and then it's got a bracket that it can mount to for on the bicycle. So then I can use my GPS software on my bicycle, for example. Cool. And it's a pretty nice little device. It's by it's called the Rocketfish. Uh, Rocketfish bicycle car mount for MP3 players. I like it. So, so when you say it mounts on the window in the car, is it like using a suction cup? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, those those are normally pretty good. If you get if you get the inside of the cup wet and then get it on the glass, then they'll normally bind pretty tightly. Um, I I don't know how I feel about the idea of using something like my iPhone on the bike. Um, you know, it, it's good, it's good to have something like that in front of you, but I w- I'd always be worried that I'm I'm going to come off the bike and destroy my iPhone in the process. Well, uh, that's a danger, of course, but when you think about it, that's a danger in your car too. Well, I, I, su- I suppose so, but if you destroy your iPhone <laughs> in in a car accident, I'm probably you're probably not going to be less less worried about the iPhone or worried problems, about other, yeah. other problems. Yeah, well, absolutely. that could be true on a bike too. Yeah. So, how much did you say this costs, Rick? Twenty five dollars. Oh, nice. Sounds sounds like a bargain. You know, what you got, Dave? I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm over in the states in a couple of weeks. I'm going to have to try and uh, try and find one of these because I I use my iPhone in in my car on a blue with it has Bluetooth stereo, so it doesn't actually need to be mounted anywhere. But obviously, I, if it's in my my shirt pocket, I can hear the iPhone fine, but I can't control it at all. Um, and I haven't yet found found a good solution for uh, for putting the iPhone somewhere in the car where I can kind of access it. So I'm going to have to look into these these two. Okay, well, well, the first item I wanted to talk about is something that I was, um, I've actually been reviewing this for my Mac, so there will be a written review coming up on this uh, fairly shortly as well. This is a little bit more expensive than the stuff you guys uh, recommended. It's called the LiveScribe Pulse, uh, and what it is is a, a digital pen solution that's really very cool. Um, it uses a, a technology called Anoto, and Anoto is is a um, it's a very fine pattern of dots that's put on a piece of paper. 
and there's a camera in the front of the pen right just above the nib that can recognize these dots as you move the the uh, pen over the paper um and basically this this kind of dot pattern is good enough that it, it you know it, it's basically like a piece of paper the size of the united states and any pen that supports this technology knows where it is on that huge piece of paper which means that if you have a notepad full of these pa these pages it can capture everything you write into the entire notepad and store it in memory so what happens in practice with the LiveScribe Pulse is as you're writing notes and drawing or anything like that, the pen is seeing what you're writing and is storing it in the memory. And then when you dock it to your Mac, um, it appears as a page on, in the software on your Mac. Um, that in itself would be good, would be great if you do a lot of note taking, if you're a student or if you do, I, I tend to use it in business quite a lot. But what it also has is a, the, the pen is a full computer. So not only does it have memory for storing the notes, but it has a recorder. So it's actually recording everything that's going on as you write. Um, and then later on, when you press the pen on the page, it plays back the audio from, from that, from that point. So, oh, so it's also an audio recording. Exactly, cool. and and that's really good because if you're not a great note taker, I mean, I, you know, I'm not the world's best note taker. I certainly don't use shorthand or anything like that. It's great to be able to refresh your um, memory as you as you click on the page, so pe what people were actually saying when you wrote a sentence down, because sometimes it doesn't make any sense unless you can hear the context of the audio. Um, but also because it, the, the pen also has a tiny little screen on it and because it is a computer you can actually get programs for it which allow you to draw things on the page and then interact with the things you've drawn using the computer on the pen so for instance they have a, 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 a like a, a demo application that comes with the pen where you can actually draw a, a set of keys like a, a piano keys on the page and uh, then you can play the piano by pressing on the on the uh, appropriate keys <laughs> really yeah and it's got it's got what a little a little tiny speaker built in yeah so for playing the audio back and everything so for instance you can play um there's a lot of educa educational games you can get for it they have a little app store on their site so you can play hangman for instance but a real hangman where the the, the hangman is drawn on the screen and you you're drawing the guy out and um, it's actually populated inside the pen with all the words that you're trying to solve um, loads of, of little things like there's a lot of translation applications where you can write a word or a sentence out in English and then it will play that um, sentence back to you in Spanish or French. Um, loads of, I mean, it's kind of limited really only by the programmer's imagination. Um, and underpinning all of this is this great, really great technology where, in fact, everything you're writing is being captured and stored. And so you never have that situation where you know you've written out a list or um, a series of notes, but you can't get to it because you don't have the pad with you because it's always on your computer. So you can always bring that page back and refer to it. If somebody wants a copy of the notes, it's no problem because you can just uh, print off as many copies as you want. Um, now, when, when they first launched this pen, the Mac software was kind of a bit feature poor compared to the Windows version, but they've worked very hard over the last 12 months and now it's pretty much comparable. Um, they've, 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 they've got two gig and four pig fans varying in, in, in price from around about $150 upwards. Um, it's, you know, it's a little bit pricey as a, as a gift, but if you have somebody who lives and breathes notes, either as a, a, a student or a college lecturer, or, you know, does a lot of meetings and conference calls in business, then they'll find this invaluable. And it really is a great piece of technology. Now is, so is, do you, do you have to use like 
like their paper you, or you have to use the Anoto paper with this dot pattern on now you can buy it in target um or they'll sell you pads in different types of sizes it's fairly well available because it's not proprietary just to livescribe but it is actually a technology that um nokia and maxell and uh, a whole host of other companies hp have done pens using the same core technology the same dot pattern technology so they just uh, it, yeah it. yeah so the so the paper is fairly widely available but with the latest version of the software if you have a high resolution color laser jet printer um then you can actually print your own sheets of paper from the software oh that's cool that's- does it have character recognition? Some of the applications do do character recognition, and there is um, an add-on you can get for the software package for the Mac that will actually um, do character recognition on your notes. But I found, you know, that like like most things, particularly if, you, if you've written in a hurry, unless you have very neat handwriting, it can be a little bit hit and miss. And um, the problem with character recognition is you end up spending more time correcting it than, than you did just reading the notes and in, in, in handwritten in the first place. It kind of defeats the purpose. But it's a possibility if you want to go that way. And if you have particularly neat writing, it might be something that, that works for you. And chances are it's only going to get better. Well, you would imagine so. Um, it's, a, you know, it's probably one of the best implementations of, of this type of technology I've seen. Um, you know, I've, in, in, my, in my day job, I've, I've seen some very vertical applications in the police and the health sector where they use this for um, writing forms. And the forms are actually intelligent, so you can, um, you can actually tick when you finish the form and then, and then it uploads it wirelessly to, to a, a back-end server or something. So... Um, you know, there's lots of vertical applications that that kind of this technology is suited to, but this is the best consumer um, consumer application I've seen. So uh, yeah, it's pretty good. And I, I, as I say, you know, I, I've I've used it used it in anger, and I really really recommend it. It's really good. <laughs> you used it in anger. I used it in anger. Yeah, some of my meetings get very very angry. So uh, <laughs> so on the, on that note, I think we'll take a break and uh, hear a word from from our sponsor, and then we'll be back in just a minute. Hey everyone, Tim Robertson for Otherworld Computing, the sponsor of the MyMac.com podcast. It's kind of weird listening to MyMac podcast number 270 and I'm not there. Really a wish I was in the studio with Guy and David and Rick Stringer, a good friend of mine. But hey, I'm listening to the show and here's a really cool idea from your sponsor of the MyMac.com podcast, guys. You know, I know you guys were talking about gift ideas. Well, a really good gift idea is a gift for yourself. How much do you like the content on your computer? Would you like to lose it? I know I wouldn't. So within arm's reach of me right now is a newer technology, Guardian Maximus RAID. Now, what this does, it's a one terabyte drive, but there's actually two one terabyte drives in it. Whenever I write information to the one terabyte drive sitting on my desktop, it literally copies the same information over to the other hard drive. It's fantastic. That means I have redundancy. That means if I lose my data on one of those drives, guess what? I have a copy of it on the same machine. I simply pop in a brand new one terabyte drive. Boom. All my information that I was missing is back, and I'm a happy camper. Now, the one terabyte version is going to run you 315 bucks. We can send it out immediately. And trust me, if you've ever lost pictures and yeah really how much is your your child's pictures worth is it worth i don't know ten dollars fifteen dollars twenty dollars 
it's invaluable to me. I do not want to lose any of the pictures on my hard drive. It's the only copy that I have. So I have to back this stuff up. A RAID system is a perfect solution for backup. So again, $315. We'll ship it right out to you, and you'll be a happy camper. And now, back to the guys in the studio. And we're back. Thanks very much for that, Tim. Always good to hear your voice on the podcast again. Even if it's not all the time. Even if it's disembodied. <laughs> so, um, let, guy, let's let's uh, go through what's what's been going on on the site recently, because we haven't p- talked about that in a few weeks. Yeah, there's some, there's some really, really great stuff on the site that, that's yeah. come up over the last week. Uh, number one, uh, our, our very own Donnie Yankelo did a review for Postbox, which is a, uh, a, a program, I, I guess, that uh, you know, is good for people that have multiple email accounts. Yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is an alternative to Apple Mail. Um, it's actually based on the same technology that, that runs Thunderbird, which is uh, Mozilla. is Mozilla's uh, technology. So I, I read through this, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, it's always, it's always interesting to look at something different in terms of we're all so used to using the default Apple applications. I always have this thing, and I don't know how you feel about this, guys, but I always have this thing feeling like, um, I should use the Apple applications and not use anything else. <laughs> is that, <laughs> well, is that just know, me? Is that just me being weird? What do you think, Rick? Well, for many years, I used uh, Entourage. Oh, dear. And I, yes, you have my sympathy. Yeah, well, there are good things about it. But um, just when, uh, I don't know, couple years ago i finally decided to switch back to apple mail and i've been real happy with it but i can tell you that we have people on our staff that still refuse to give up entourage because there are things about it that they love and they're not gonna give that up they won't go back to they won't go to mail because of that well i know that my wife after i got my wife a uh macbook for her birth anniversary and uh she was having problems importing her her mail from mail. I mean, it just wasn't coming in. So I started looking around online and I, I found this program called Sea Monkey. And I believe that's also based on, on Mozilla. And it does, besides doing mail, it also has a browser built in. And, you know, it, it's great for her. The browser isn't really all that fast, but for the stuff she does, it works out really well. But this looks like, you know, if, if you have three, four, five different types of emails, and I know Donnie really liked this program. It sounds like Postbox at uh, at about thirty bucks is something that well actually it's thirty bucks right now is something that uh, that you might want to take a look at. It one one the one feature that did kind of jump out to me from the review was that it does conversation threading. So rather than um, I mean Apple Apple Mail kind of does this if you click on a on a thread it will kind of highlight all the mails in the thread in your list so you can see one or the other but it doesn't group them together whereas. No. Uh, Postbox does so if you have some back and forth with somebody um, on a particular topic, but in the meantime you've been receiving other mail, it will group all that conversation together into kind of one one heading with all the mails underneath, and you scroll through them one after the other, and that's actually quite a nice feature and something that I know Entourage can do, Rick. So that might be one of the uh, one of the things that keeps people kind of uh, on that side of the fence. Interesting, actually. I can tell you exactly what keeps them on that side of the fence is the uh, projects feature in Entourage. Right. That that's the one thing that they love. It's it's all our project managers in my office. Yeah. And they 
they really like it, it was real funny because I spent years trying to get them to go with that feature and they they didn't try it until just before we all decided to switch over to Apple Mail. And right. then all of a sudden they <laughs> all wanted it didn't to matter keep... anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it was real funny. Now now interestingly in the next version of uh, Microsoft Office will have uh, Entourage will be gone and they'll have a, a new version of Outlook for Mac which hasn't been around for about 8 9 years now. Um mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see whether that is feature parity with the Windows version or whether it becomes something new again. Well, my experience with Microsoft and their Office products is that the the Office stuff has not been... You haven't had the same features, but there are an awful lot of things that the Mac version has that the Windows version doesn't have and vice right, versa. Yeah. And, well, and there's lots of stuff on the Windows side that you don't want on the Mac side, so... well. It yeah. all works out. Well, let, let's let's move on to yeah. uh, the next one. This is a a, a uh, post from Elisa Paselli. I hope I said that right. Called "Helping My Dad Switch to a Mac." This is a, a very interesting story and had had quite a lot of resonance with me because the first thing she talks about is the web TV, which was <laughs> a set top box that allowed you to access the internet back in the day. Um, and my parents had one of those. <laughs> And uh, were very enamoured of it and had much the same experience that, that uh, Elisa's father did in that it was, it was great when you first started, but after a while it just seemed so slow and uh, kind of well, so. Was, it, was there any way to, to up, update those or upgrade them as far as the hardware goes? Or not, was it not, just a set-top box? Not really. The, the, the principal limitation actually wasn't, wasn't so much the hardware. It was the fact that you were using it over a TV that was very low resolution and it oh, was dial-up as well. So um, that oh, that yay. was that was kind of you know you until until you had broadband you weren't able to move away from that. Um, so uh, it, it was it was an interesting piece of technology and certainly for my family and I think I think Elisa has the same uh, same thing as she talks about how her her father has kind of wanted to do computing things without having a computer and uh, the Mac eventually became the way of of allowing him to do that um, because it was so easy to use. Um, my parents certainly went through the same progression in that they wanted to do email and they wanted to do web browsing, but they were kind of scared by the prospect of having having a full computer to do that with because they thought it was so complicated. Yeah, so, well, apparently he he, uh, he went from a web TV to a 2001-era G3 iMac, which was, you know, the, the little teardrop shape that, uh, that, you know, that the iMac first was. And, and he used that for seven years. And for the people, you know, getting back to how much Macs cost, this is a computer that lasted seven years. Absolutely, and um, you know, the iMac was was interesting because, um, you know, it was designed to be out of the box, five minutes on the internet, and being able to do everything, everything you needed um, was the first all-in-one type computer that that kind of hit the mass market. Uh, and of course, there's a lot more of those nowadays than than there ever used to be. But back, I remember when it first came out, it was really revolutionary because it was, you know, literally plug and play at a, yeah, at I mean, a time. You, took, you a time take it when, out of the box, you hook up a keyboard and mouse, and you're done. Exactly at a time when a win, when a, uh, you know a Windows computer certainly wasn't anything like that. It was a real nightmare. Uh, and funnily enough, I have a I have an Emacs sat right in front of me just now that I just purchased off eBay this afternoon. Um, and it's very reminiscent of that first iMac in in the way it looks. And it I was, wish I had known you were looking for one. 
I have one in my basement. Yeah, but at, at fifty pounds, <laughs> getting it over to me from uh, from your part of the world would be a, would it be would a cost bit more of a struggle. It more than it's worth. It was hard enough getting it back, getting it in, in into the boot of my car from uh, from South Manchester. <laughs> to be honest, but, you know, I paid peanuts for this machine, and it's fantastic. It really is. I always like the uh, the Emacs. Uh, I know that for a while, when I when I was still using my my G four nine thirty three tower, and the Emacs came out, and pretty soon their processor speed passed up, you know the the tower, and I seriously considered getting one of those, and but ended up waiting instead. Yeah, uh, I mean, boy, but if you have to move that thing around, oh my god! Well, yeah, it because is. it basically it's a Mac built into a into the old seventeen inch CRT uh, studio display they used to make. Um, yeah, I rec- recognize so the Chevy hard. case, and it and yeah, yeah it's pretty heavy. Um, yeah. <laughs> on the on the plus side, once you put it down somewhere, it doesn't tend to move, no matter what you mean. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah. Let's let's go on. Uh, we have there's a review by Sam Negri for the. Oh, I don't even know if I can say this. Clipsh. Clipsh. Clip. iGroove. iGroove SXT, which looks like an iPod speaker dock. It is now Clipsh are well known for um, being very high quality in the audio, uh, and uh, they're. Uh, main competitor is normally Bose um, they're normally viewed as being up against Bose but interestingly this one's quite a bit cheaper than the Bose sound dock um, and Sam really liked it he said you know no matter whether you had it turned up loud or or turned down a bit the sound was really clear and really defined it had that, that really good you know the stuff what you get from quality audio gear which is a, a real sense of definition and layering to the music that you don't even in to- something that small yeah, I mean, this is what he says. He says it, it kind of punches well above its weight. So uh, I love this sort of thing. You know, I, I really like um, audio engineering when you've got something that's fairly small and fairly portable and you can put your iPod into it and it sounds really good because I think we all appreciate that uh, iPod docks are very much a mixed bag and there's an awful lot of overpriced Brand. rubbish out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so finding something that's... Um, that you know really does sound good i mean he was putting classical music and and that sort of thing through it as well and he said it was really really good and very good value only 150 dollars yeah so uh, maybe something else to think about your uh for that for that holiday gift holiday gift list if if that's kind of what you're in what you're into uh one final thing that we wanted to um well two final things actually the first thing is uh one of our staff members, Artia Alinkov, um, has a blog post on here saying that he's just turned into a professional photographer. He's had a um, a, a showing, a showing, and uh, and he sold an image there as well. So that turns him pro. Uh, yeah, like, it, yeah, you you saw the image, right? Yeah, I, I think this is tremendously exciting because um, you know we've all had the. The, the equipment you can get nowadays allows anybody to turn out really professional looking results but there is a real difference between being able to produce professional results and being professional actually getting your your you know your art up on a wall and then and then having people want to pay for it uh, sure i mean you you have to have a sense of composition you 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 have to have an eye to see you know what's going to make a good picture and what's just going to be another one in the photo album is this particular picture he sold is the, the he's really catching an incredible mood in the uh, in the guy's face he's like a street musician and uh he, he 
he's conveying quite quite an, a, an amazing sense of emotion with this image. I'm, I'm not surprised he sold it. It is a great, great image. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I encourage all our listeners to go up and uh, check check that out and to have have a look at that. And then the final thing we're going to talk about before we wrap up um, for the show, guy, was your um, your video review of uh, Navigon AG Mobile Navigator. Yeah, I actually went when I went to Woodstock, Illinois, to meet up with Tim for Otherworld Computing. Um, I had bought the, the Navigon AG mobile navigator app for the iPhone and decided that that's what the only thing I was going to take with me. I wasn't going to take any maps. I wasn't going to take any backup GPS unit. I was going to rely solely on my iPhone and this and this application to get me there. And it, it did. It, it got me there without any problems. Uh, some of the other functionality built into the program I, I found to be somewhat lacking. Uh, I had some audiobooks that I was trying to listen to, and it didn't always skip from one chapter to the next seamlessly, which meant that you know I had to reach across and, and start fiddling around with buttons on my iPhone to get to the next chapter of the book. Uh, the phone part of it itself also was, was you know, it was okay. You know, it, it, anytime you have a device that is going to be multifunctional like the iPhone with and with all of its various apps. You know, it there it it doesn't really matter. None of them are going to work as well as like a standalone device, but it's the difference between taking your phone and your iPod and a GPS device and you know, trying to find all these places for them in your car. Now, I did get a, a response from Owen, our good friend Owen Rubin who asked me a couple of questions and the first question was why was the audio so good? Were you connected through your radio? And, and yes, Owen, I was connected through the radio. I, I have a, a Ford Flex that has the Microsoft Sync system. Mm-hmm. And for the phone part of it and for Bluetooth audio, it, it really, really works well. I, I, you know, I really didn't have any problems with that. Uh, you would get similar results it, probably if your, if your car stereo has an aux in jack. Yeah, that's really the best way to get audio through to your car. Yeah, because there's no because with Bluetooth you're always going to have some delay. There's going to yeah. be a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Uh, the next question he had: What happens if a phone call comes in while navigating? And you know the phone call takes over just as as it should. You know the the map disappears and you know all the the functionality of the app itself goes away until you're done with the phone call. So, so yeah, I guess it's worth if if you think you're coming up to a junction where you might have to change, it might be worth pulling over for that call or canceling the call. Yeah, or canceling the call until you know you're going to be on a long stretch where you don't have yeah, to do anything. Yeah. And, of course, hands-free is the way to go with any of this. Yeah. Uh, the last thing that he asked me was, can I use a Bluetooth headphone for the iPhone, and does the Navigator audio come out of that too? And I didn't have a Bluetooth headset, so but you know, just from a guess, I would, I would, I would probably say yeah, it should work. But you, you, you had, you've got Bluetooth in the car, so that the audio for the um, navigator was coming out of the car. Yes. Yeah, so so, I didn't so, so a Bluetooth headset should do exactly the same thing then, really. Sure. Shouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Have a have a look at the video. I mean, sometimes a picture paints a thousand words, and I think your uh, your video you know, certainly my, does that because you're out there in the my car, dark guys, circles so, under uh, my eyes. Oh, don't. <laughs> that's you need a better makeup artist, obviously. <laughs> no, I just need, needed to take a shorter trip. Is okay. what I needed to do. Yeah. Well, uh, so so let's kind of wrap wrap things up there. Um, okay. Rick, thank you very much for joining us this week, and particularly on oh, our my uh, pleasure on our first uh, Timless episode. And uh, I hope you can bear bear with us with our bumblings as we kind of figure out how we're doing this. We'll get better. Not a problem. 
Um, Tim, uh, Rick, where where can we? Um, I'm doing it now with the Freudian slip. Rick, where can we? <laughs> where can we find you on the web if we want to go and, and and look at your podcast and find out all about you? Well, that would be at variantfrequencies.com. And do you Twitter? Yes, I do. And my uh, my Twitter that uh, most people would go to would be VF Rick. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I add you, add you to my follow list, Rick. Thanks very much for joining us. Guy, what about you? Where are you on the Twitters? On the Twitters, you can find me at MacParrot. MacParrot. And you can find me at David B. Cohen on Twitter. And, of course, you can always reach us through uh, through the MyMac website, um, uh, David Cohen at MyMac.com. Guy? guy, Yeah, I'm Guy at MyMac.com. Just Guy at MyMac.com. Just, just Guy. That's great. Well, uh, I hope everyone's uh, enjoyed the show, and uh, we will improve, I promise, and we'll speak <laughs> to you next week. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Please send all feedback to feedback at MyMac.com. Be sure to review the show up in iTunes, and check out the other podcasts that MyMac.com produces, including Sam's Cool Picks, my photo tech geekiest show ever and of course the one you just listened to mymac.com <laughs>